welcome to this new edition of Inside Nearshoring. So today we'll be talking with David Gilger of Blue Lake Accelerator. It's an interesting story, an interesting person overall. Must be warned, we had a few technical difficulties with this particular interview, but I'm pretty sure you'll still be able to follow everything greatly. And uh, let's get over to it. All right, David, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, we look forward to getting into it. So how are you doing? How are things going? You know, where are you right now? Uh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, great, great to be uh, with you uh, virtually. Um, as I said, hopefully we can catch up for a time uh, sometime soon. I am actually right now in a beautiful Kiev in Ukraine, and I should be heading back to London and facing the joys of two-week quarantine in, in Buffalo. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, so I love that you said beautiful Kiev, right? So a lot of people don't, don't know a lot about Kiev, but, but how about we do this? How about you, you tell us a bit more about who you are, you know, your background, um, you know, where you are now, how you got to, to where you are today, just for those who don't know. Um, sure. Um, I, uh, my career started in the city of London, a very typical kind of uh, a finance job and after six seven years of doing it I decided that I wanted to have some excitement mm -hmm. in my life and as I am originally from Ukraine I started Vines Consulting a company aimed at linking up um, Ukrainian and uh, British or European businesses. Um, this mainly centered around finding amazing companies undiscovered uh, corporates, you know, your, your tractor manufacturers in Ukraine that can benefit from uh, foreign investors and on the other hand working with um, foreign corporates, private equity or family offices types and uh, helping them to make sense of, of the insanity uh, that Ukraine is. Um, then there was Maidan revolution and yeah. if anything, uh, um, we decided then there was a small team of our, ours, uh, the double down and to uh, put all our efforts into building up those links and opening up Ukraine uh, to foreign investors, corporates, and uh, other participants. About two, three years ago, um, we started to notice uh, one of those uh, secrets, that's not really a secret, that Ukraine is pretty damn amazing when it comes to IT. Yeah. Um, so probably, Many people know Ukraine as uh, one of the powerhouses when it comes to IT development. Uh, lesser known fact is all that talent, all those, those, those programmers, um, it's all have been non-translating into uh, a lot of early stage startups. And we started to find ourselves shifting from, kind of this from the very traditional industry, your, your manufacturing, your textiles, towards IT, and then gradually towards startups. Um, we did our first investments a couple of years ago. And uh, while really cool, really interesting, uh, we thought that uh, those companies, those startups, they need something extra. Money is undoubtedly important, and I can yeah. talk for ages about the lack of capital in Ukraine and uh, the interest rates that are in 20-25% uh, when people are wimping about mortgages of a you know, quarter of a percent in, yeah. in, in the UK or US. Um, um, but aside of capital, we, we saw that those budding future tech giants 
they need a bit of more hands-on support for many, many reasons. Um, and this is how Blue Lake was born with the aim and the goal of having this very, uh, very specialized, uh, very kind of um, unique structure right. that finds, identifies, uh, you know, the future grammar release, uh, the yeah. future GitHubs, uh, and all those other amazing startups at very, very early stages, mm. invest in them, but more than that, actually provides a hands-on support that those guys so, so desperately in some cases um, require. And this is where we are right now. Uh, we've been operating for full, uh, fully in this manner for the past 12 months. Mm -hmm. uh, right now we are fundraising for a new um, venture capital fund, which is going to be specialized in working with early stage startups in Ukraine and other uh, developing countries. And yeah, this is this is this is where we are at the moment, and these uh, it's been exciting times. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, with, with that being said, it seems as though, I mean, you're 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 really on the the cutting edge, and you're you're getting in and speaking to these startups, and you know who knows you'll maybe be attached to the next unicorn, right? That's always great to to help these yeah. startups grow and build. But you must also have an interesting perspective when it comes to innovation and the things that you're seeing. So I, and actually, so I'd like to get your take on that, you know, what type of innovations you're seeing, whether it's in the industry itself or just as an accelerator. But before we get into that, what is the significance of Blue Lake, right? Is there a particular reason why it's Blue Lake Accelerator? Sure. Um, I think uh, most, or most of our listeners will be aware of the blue oceans, uh, but the quick reminder, there is, there is a theory that mm -hmm. a successful uh, large enterprise uh, should be seeking ways uh, to offer their services in a manner that doesn't actually compete with the existing market players, but actually creates a new marketplace and uh, then you know, happiness all around for customers and for the company that it's first out there. Uh, with Blue Lake, we are trying to create uh, this, uh, a more secure environment, although secure is a very relative term uh, for those early stage startups to find Definitely. their feet and, and then move on into hopefully a blue ocean and become those, uh, those unicorns yeah. uh, that, that you just mentioned. Okay, so, so if that's the case, having that, giving them that security or as secure as you can be, you know, when you're dealing with startups and, and things like that. It's still pretty damn scary, so don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it's never gonna be, uh, it, it's never gonna be secure, so I'm using that word really, really hesitantly. Yeah. But we are trying to, um, to, to help to shelter those startups from dumb mistakes, which, which certainly I made when I, when I started uh, my companies, and, and help to give them that, that landing hand when they feel all alone and have this, relatively secure area where they can grow and expand. Gotcha. I mean, it seems as though, and, and I can relate to a lot of startups um, that I've worked with in the past where, you know, they have a great idea of what they want to do, but putting all that together. Now that's a completely different thing and, and, and you know, understanding the pitfalls and everything. So okay. I can imagine yeah, you're I, very I busy. I can talk about this for, for hours. Ideas are almost nothing. I think uh, we, like many other VCs, we can't be bothered with NDAs these days. It's like ideas, <laughs> fine, you're a brilliant idea. You know, you're worried about somebody is going to steal it. No, worry about somebody actually managed to execute it. Yeah. It's all about the execution. So yeah. yes, um, ideas are great, but it's, it's getting through that initial phase and not letting that idea die. That's the tricky part. Yeah, so sometimes I look at it, even when I'm 
if I look at something from a sales or marketing point of view, you know, it, often it's who can market it first, right? A lot of companies do the same thing, but then all of a sudden they'll say, well, we use this special piece here that everyone else is using, but they're the first ones to say it. And nobody cares about who was there first, you know, it's, yeah. it's consigned to the history books. Uh, so yeah, we are, it, it's, all, it's all about the process, all about the, you know, achieving the results. Um, actually, a lot of the startups that we work with, um, there was a very special Eastern European syndrome. It's called, you know, uh, we have these old secret um, Soviet technologies. <laughs> uh, so we would have the guys coming to us and say, like, in our university, we have this secret technology that, you know, like Elon Musk rockets will look obsolete. And I was like, well, yeah. this stuff is obsolete, but your stuff is on paper flying. So don't worry about the secret technologies, just, just get them to the market and, and then you, you, you know, you'll see the results. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the difference, I guess, in the mentality. Uh, one of the things we can talk about uh, a bit oh, later oh, on. Well, definitely, but, but you, know, you do touch on something interesting, even with that, you talk about the innovation, right? So let's get back to, to, yeah. to that. You know, with your um, position, how you've positioned yourself as an accelerator and your work with, say, Vimes VC and Vimes Group, and, bridging a lot of gaps and making a lot of connections. What have you seen? You know, what type of um, innovations are you seeing in the industry and how has that changed? Maybe you saw something a year ago, but now COVID's there and now you're seeing something else. So I'd love to get some insight on that uh, from your perspective. This is a, a truly amazing subject. Um, so I think the, the biggest change that we see is the approach to the innovation itself. And this is the approach on the corporate side of things. So if previously um, we could look at innovation almost as a kind of a two-tier process. So you will have your large corporate conglomerates, you know, the global names. Yeah. That they do have their R&D, which is aimed at marginally improving their product that they can roll out, uh, you know, a, a new and improved and more expensive offering to their customers in B2B or B2B seaside and then there was kind of this narrow um, narrow area where people like Apple and Amazon's place and Google's who are the innovation leaders and they are almost kind of in the league of their own right now the approach has changed most if not all large enterprises realize that Incremental improvement is not good enough because the history now is littered with the examples of um, you are a large world dominating company today mm -hmm. and you're gone tomorrow. You know, we, we, yeah. we, we, we all know, um, you know, we all know the Nokia's, we all know that our close three, highest street retailers in the UK, yeah. almost yeah, another iconic name that goes out of business almost on a daily basis. Um, so the approach, the, the biggest change which we see funnily enough it's not on the on the startup side of things they're business as usual it's on the corporate side of things where um pretty much all of the large names you can think of on uh, b2b b2c side yeah, they would have a de dedicated innovation department uh -huh. or um, a corporate startup accelerating uh, with the goal and the aim of finding um, those ideas, be it internal or external, that will allow for, for that leap um, into the future uh, to stay relevant and to, to stay competitive, to, um, 
um, uh, just basically, you know, to survive in many, in many yeah. cases. And if anything, um, what I think COVID situation has accelerated um, that, uh, that approach. Um, again, so the world is, is you know, <laughs> to, use, to use the Marvel cliche, the world is changing. Yeah. And um, the people who can adapt the best and, and, and thrive in this changing environment, they are the future, the future leaders. So we see a lot of the corporates are now approaching innovation in a very systemic manner, and for a good reason. So one, one, of, the, uh, one of the things when, uh, one of the things that we are focused um, on at Blue Lake is how can we help our startups to succeed? And this is a, a very basic idea, but once you start really thinking about it, it's pretty damn complex. Yeah, okay, exactly. so funding, yes, we got it. We need, we, need, we need to fund them, and we do. And in many cases, we need to fundraise further. Mm -hmm. But what about that small thing called the product and actually selling the stuff to the customers? And in many cases, a lot of the startups, they are aiming at large or medium-sized enterprises. Huh. Um, so when we started with the Blue Lake, we had a pretty um, simple idea. Okay, we need to link up the startups with their future clients first. Okay. And the problem that we hit almost immediately is that these guys, the startups and corporates kind of mid-size and up, they speak different languages. They have nothing in common except that the product can actually be a life-saving in certain, in certain examples. Uh, but a very typical scenario on our end would be we have a startup. Um, we know that this startup would resolve a particular issue, let's say, to a large um, a logistics firm in the UK that has thousands and thousands of employees, a quite antiquated system. They can genuinely benefit uh, uh, from change. And then it becomes a run around. And then it becomes, well, we need, we need to have our procurement involved. We need to have our accounting. What about your legal side of things? What about this? What about that? And the startups simply cannot keep up with the demands which are originated from working with another large kind of traditional based yeah. um, enterprise. Um, so we very welcome this rise of the innovation departments that almost their, their job is to act as, a, as an interpreter uh, yeah. between, um, uh, between, between the startups and the, business, uh, and the business on the company side of things and helping to link those two. And finally enough, this is still such an early days. So we, it, it's almost, it's amazing to see how this industry, how this dialogue is being, is being formed. How different companies are still looking for ways how they can engage with innovation. And some do it better. For others, it's innovation theater. Uh, but we think we, 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 we live in really interesting time and on Blue Lake side of things, so we are trying very actively to engage with startups yeah. and the corporates, um, in our turn, helping to, to, to you know to, to bridge those differences. Well, well, and there's and and thank you for that. There's something you just said that I'd like you to go a little bit more into um, innovation theater, right? So, so what do you mean by innovation theater? Well, huh. imagine if you like. Um, so you, are, you, you have a CEO of a large enterprise. They're scared shitless that yeah. they're going to be out of business because some Silicon Valley, Israeli, Ukrainian, British startup mm -hmm. will just make them obsolete. Um, the CEO then 
um, goes to his second in command or uh, some head of R&D and says, well, we need to figure out how to be the next uh, Amazon or yeah. whatever. And you do it tomorrow, you know. Hmm. And then what, what and this, this story happens so, so many times. And like anything else, building up innovation within the corporate department takes time, takes yep. energy, takes patience, and you may not get it right for the first time. What is far easier to do is to turn it into the best case scenario marketing activity. The worst case scenario is the theater, is where then there is loads of activities, there are demo days, uh, there are startups are invited to pitch in front of the corporates, but then this goes nowhere. Everyone in the industry is aware of this fact, and regretfully, um, we're still in the middle of these uh, of the theatrics, and they're not going anywhere because of the way the corporate culture is structured. Mm. People are too often, for good reason, are more concerned about protecting their little victims. And this mean, means doing the thing which may be less effective for the company, but safer um, in the context of the person who is responsible for, in this case, innovation. But this, I guess, applies to many other departments. So uh, next time you see this, like, you know, 50 startups, 20 yeah. corporates, one hour of pitching, you know, let's make a change happen. You're probably going to get some really good drinks. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, probably now it's going to be uh, online. Uh, you'll yeah. hear some fun speakers, but unlikely that um, something will come out of it. Uh, things that do come out of it are things that do happen, that do work. They tend to be much quieter mm. and uh, much more persistent and long term. So, and, and you know, not to, not, uh, not to be too gloomy. Yeah. Um, we see so many great companies that do a really amazing job that take it really seriously and uh, it's often not glamorous people don't hear about it but once you start speaking with them they're doing the right things and it's just just, just a pleasure to be part of it gotcha so so it sounds like i mean that's part of the process now right when you're preparing the startups right to understand that hey this is kind of you know, innovation theater, but yeah, it's not completely gloomy, right? You can get things out of it, but more often than not, it's going to be a longer process and the things that happen will be kind of behind the scenes, so to speak. I think like pretty much, you know, 80% of what we do with startups, um, it can be summarized for what we just said. It, it will be a longer process. Just, just, just that is, is, is enough to, 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 to help our, uh, our startups quite significantly. Uh, yes, working with, with corporates is going to, it's going to be always longer um, than, than you expected. And uh, we spend a lot of time and effort explaining uh, startups and guys, you know, corporates should be doing more. Uh, when it comes to working with you, but you should be taking steps forward as well. And this means being, being, being patient. Okay, so um, now, now with, with, with that being said, you know, talking about innovation, talking about innovation theater, um, obviously your approach with startups is important to understand. Um, and of course, like you said, it takes time, but I guess that's not really, it's hard to market that, right? You can't put Blue Lake Accelerator longer than you think. 
right? Like you can't, you can't right? You can't really, you know, put that, right? Man, I think maybe we should, but you're right. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a popular tagline. No. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But but still, I'm sure you get a lot of um, uh, requests or a lot of people coming to you asking you about different ways to facilitate growth. So so with that being said, um, you know, since this is inside nearshoring, I'd like to get your take on nearshoring in general. I mean, do you get people who ask you, startups who ask a lot about nearshoring, your experience with it, and, you know, and what you suggest to them when it comes to actually considering nearshoring? Sure. So I think it would be useful to do a few, uh, define a few terms. Um, we work with, um, as, as an accelerator, it's really important for us to be more than um, just somebody who works with our own startups and we work really hard on building a wider ecosystem. So we work with early stage Blue Lake startups and we work with startups externally as well. Um, and when we talk about startups, the range of companies behind the term is vast. Um, so I think when we talk about, you know, two guys and a dog, uh, probably near shoring is not going to be that relevant to them. Uh, but in the UK, an early stage startup is somebody who, you know, it can be a 10, 20 uh, people strong company who received their funding of five, 10 million. And, um, and we spent quite a lot of time working with these guys uh, too. Now it's funny. Um, um, when it comes to nearshoring, what we hear is sometimes is it would be, well, we don't really want to outsource. You know, we have all these horrible stories. Um, we have no idea what nearshoring is. All we want is some brilliant programmer who can work remotely. We would like to have some flexibility uh, when it comes to, uh, to the contracts. And we need the guy to be um, just on the ball and not work towards a defined project, which inevitably will change, uh, but somebody who can be part of the team. Uh, but quite frankly, if you know, things go south, it's somebody who we can ask. You know, just, just saying how it is. Gotcha. So it's funny now, I think um, for whatever reason, the outsourcing and, and, and the outstaffing terms, they go to bad rent. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, that that the you know the LinkedIn messages that we all received, or yeah. it's the bad experiences that people have. Uh, but startups, essentially, what they are describing is a nearshoring model, mm -hmm. because they don't care about if this person, especially now, if the person yeah. sits in the same city, in the same country, or anywhere else. Um, what's more, and it's a, it's an important one. Um, we always discourage our startups to go our, our staffing route, uh, just some, something I already mentioned. Um, because a, a lot of them like on the surface the idea that we can fix our cost, here is yeah. our project, um, we're going to hand it over to a reputable um, outsourcing company, we know how much it's going to cost. In my experience, i never ever seen an example where a project remains within the same specs, yeah. all within the same cost base, always. Um, so it doesn't really make sense for them to go via um, an outsourcing route. A team extension, uh, you can call it uh, nurturing, you can call mm -hmm. it outstaffing. 
Um, but this is a viable model for many of the growing startups. Um, there are a lot of uh, kind of things that people have to be aware of. Um, yeah. I'm sure this is something that you talked about on, on the previous podcast, but with, with the team selection, with making yeah. sure that people Definitely. have kind of the same attitudes, that they're truly becoming a, an extension of the team. Uh, but done right, these exceptionally powerful that we encourage uh, startups and indeed uh, our uh, corporate partners who are frequently in a very similar position, the guys from the innovation departments as our startups, you know, they yeah. have to implement something rapidly. They have, they have a project where they're not quite sure where it's going and they find it difficult to find the resources internally. This is, this is a, a beautiful model and what, um, what I think COVID did um, is erase those boundaries between mm-hmm. what is really near shoring, what is really just a team member who happened to sit in a different country. Yeah. Quite frankly, I struggle to tell the difference right now, and, and maybe it's a good thing people should be to hang up on the terms and uh, should be focused on the results. And this is a viable model if used carefully. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. it works. Well, well and you, you definitely want to ensure that things are moving forward, right? So when you say um, focusing on the results, um, often you say, well, in many cases, if you go with the right type of uh, support, the right type of vendor, you know, the ends can justify the means, right? But I, I just as you said, I do see that often, yeah, you do need to really go into the details and, and understand that everything that glitters isn't gold. Right. So that is something that uh, we've had plenty of conversations about, uh, making sure that expectations are where they need to be before you get into something. And I I can imagine a lot of what you do at first, especially, is talk about those expectations. Right. Because I I can imagine people come to you and say, look, we're going to be the next Amazon, the next Facebook, whatever it is, always those big ones. Right. But I think, uh, or at least from my, my view, you probably have to humble them a little bit and say, look, that's great and all, but l- let's look at what you're really going to have to deal with to get to where you think you can be. Um, this is 100%. And this is especially the case in Ukraine uh, or other emerging markets where with all the upsides, and there are many of them, otherwise we wouldn't be here, one of the main downside is is that lack of maturity and lack of experience and going back to you know it, it takes longer yeah. and uh, i think a lot of the startups in the emerging markets and many in in, in more established uh, countries um they may you know they may be addicted to the stories you know you know and you know the stories I'm telling you about it. It's, it's all about, well, I had this idea and overnight it, it grew into uh, whatever trillion uh, size uh, company. Yeah. Uh, so we do encourage our startups is to set themselves goals and these goals have to be incremental and they cannot them. And there is, there is um, one, one of the things we have to fight against and, and overcome when working with, with the startups is this desire to just you know skip to success, and this uh, this applies um, when uh, working on a 
particular product on a model or frequently when working with um, IT developers, programmers internally or remotely. Again, I don't, I don't think there is much difference. There is, well, this is our vision. You guys just, just, you know, just get there. And um, when, it comes, when it comes to even to, to things like budgeting, we always, always encourage our startups to, to figure out, okay, not the worst case scenario, but there will be a fuck up. There will yeah. be a change. Um, there will be you know, un, you know, expected, unexpected circumstances uh, that, that you have to, uh, working with nearshoring partners uh, or, or internally, again, I don't see a difference. There yeah. has to be a, a clarity. There has to be a, a relationship there that helps to achieve uh, achieve that end goal. Uh, it's a very similar if you work with your RD guys internally or it's same tensions. If you have clearly defined steps, if you haven't account for inevitable missteps, there will be tension, there will be unhappiness. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, if there is a mature, kind of a, a steady, mature approach, um, you know, you, you can do wonders working working with the partners. You can then become a true extension of your team. Those I see a lot of, and that's people looking to skip steps, right? And and I think, I mean, obviously, that's probably a thing in life, right? People wanting to skip steps, yeah. and they hear the success stories, but at the end of the day. You know, I think when you hear about a unicorn or something like that, no one ever hears about the the five companies that failed before they founded that unicorn, right? Or the rejections they they received. So we read these stories and I think people look at it as, oh, well, now that I see what they did, I can just improve on on, on their process and just skip from one step to the next. So in terms, I, I can see how that could be very relevant in terms of, you know, the work you're doing with companies and early stage startups, that mentorship. And, and, and of course, even for, for nearshoring, right? You, you can't skip the step of having someone involved or having someone understand what you're really trying to accomplish. Otherwise, you're just dealing with, you know, a, an hourly freelancer of some sort. Yeah, that's that's very true, and this um, it's it's been a real challenge for us to uh, to try to identify uh, startups that are mature enough, uh, that um, and yet you know they still need some support. Um, so one of the things, just just as an example, uh, we see a lot of startups that have non-technical founders. Uh, but they're developing kind of, um, kind of a deep tech, or they're hoping to develop a, a deep tech technology. Yeah. And to be honest, we skip those because we find it, it's just very difficult um, to explain just this thing that you mentioned is that you, you cannot just, this is what I want to achieve and I pay money and uh, you know, somebody will figure out it for me. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's one of the ways. Um, but uh, I, have to, I have to also, you know, I don't, don't want to also be to, to, to doom and gloom. Um, yeah. We do deal with a lot of repeat founders, mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of guys who have, uh, you know, have been knocked down and then they, they, they got up. Mm-hmm. And we find that more often than not, the startups that, that we work with, they have the appreciation of the process. Yeah. And, um, 
And then those, those that, that work with the, with the nearshoring partners, again, internally or, or externally, mm. it just becomes a dialogue. It, it, yes. it moves away from the battle. It moves away from, from the kind of the stress of, you know, I, I wanted A and you haven't delivered it. Why haven't you delivered it? More yeah. towards, okay, this is how we evolve together. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing to behold, to be honest. That's, that's how like, okay, this is why, why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Right. Now, see, now that that's a much better catchphrase, like, you know, two leg accelerator, let's evolve together, you know, or, or you know, so some, you know, in which, which I think kind of, you know, it works, right? I think a lot of this really comes down to that. I think when you are bridging gaps, whether it's through, uh, say, nearshoring, whether it's through, you know, being an accelerator and being a mentor and, and teaching, basically, it does seem to be the ones who are successful are those that embrace doing something together, right? The, the ones who are not saying, this is just mine, 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 you know, my precious, you, you know, the, I, I, they don't understand. I'm the only one that gets it. You know, those I believe tend to have a lot more difficulties when it comes to even selling what they want to do and getting people to join them. You're right. Uh, but there is a reason for it. It's difficult. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's always easier to, to try to force your vision and then assume that everyone around you is an idiot who doesn't buy it <laughs> rather yeah. than uh, finding ways. Of, and this applies to everything, be it, be it your team, your uh, co-founders, your, um, your clients, uh, or your, uh, your developing partners. And, and this is why, regretfully, still most startups fail. Uh, one of the reasons is that they implode from within. It's, 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 it's one of the things that we see, uh, see time and time again, uh, because I have a vision and, yep. you know, I read the, the, the book, the, the jobs, you know, and, yep. and I'm going to be just like Steve and fuck you all. And I, I'm just going yep. to get there. Well, you know, Steve Jobs had to do quite a few compromises as well along the way to achieve, yeah. to, to, to achieve what he has, and has achieved. Um, um, so yeah, there, there, is, there is a reason I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be too hard on the guys that, that fail to find that compromise. It's a skill and, and uh, sometimes it just takes time to develop it. Yeah. Uh, but one, once you do, it's, it's a powerful tool indeed. Gotcha. Well, and, and, and it's also something, like you said, that comes in time. So there, there are plenty yeah. of maybe 20, 21-year-olds that have amazing ideas, but they haven't figured out how to compromise yet. That's, that's so true. So when we started with, in Ukraine, uh, our first cohort was, um, and you know, again, we are learning as well as, as an accelerator, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> Our first cohort was predominantly made up from the bright um, students or people who have just graduated. Mm -hmm. And there were maybe two, three startups that consisted of more mature entrepreneurs that were further down the line in their career. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we believe that you know, we have those, those amazing startups made up from founders of those, those students that you know, they have burning eyes and great ideas. Yeah. Um, but uh, the startups that are most successful, they were the guys who are headed by the small level headed, more experienced founders. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much 
most, if not all, of the kind of the student founders in Ukraine we had in our early cohorts. Um, they kind of burned out really quickly once once they faced those those adversaries. Once once they started, you know, hitting those walls. Um, yeah. There was like a big bang and flash, and then it was well, you know. I'm just going to do something this, this obviously hasn't worked. Uh, while the guys with the experience, you could see how, okay, here's the wall, you know, let me try this way, that way, let me figure it out, let me, let me think on it. Yeah. So you're right, it's, it's experience. And this is one of the reasons, uh, you know, why U.S. Uh, startup scene is so powerful, because there, there is no, there is no, there is, there is little stigma attached to failure. It's yeah. pe- people are... Oh, not okay. I don't want to. I don't want to make it. I don't. Don't want to make light of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the end of the universe. It's not end of your life if you failed first time or second time as an entrepreneur. There is a third time or fourth time. So, yeah. Regretfully, in in Ukraine and in Europe as well, there is far less tolerance towards uh, towards failure, and we're certainly trying to address this within our scope uh, of, of Blue Lake. Okay. Well, and and that's. And that's cool, and that's interesting because when you talk about the the failure aspect of it, right? As in saying, yeah, sometimes you're gonna fail. Um, it's very interesting how you say, well, okay, in the U.S., it's a, a bit different mentality as opposed to say uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Ukraine in general. Um, now, with that being said, now that you're you know you're Blue Lake accelerator, uh, what what are your your plans for the future? Are you gonna are you looking at Europe primarily now? And then are you going to maybe jump across the pond there and, and do things in the U.S.? Or, you know, what, how, how do you see things um, progressing with Blue Lake Accelerator and, and your goals moving forward with that? We have a pretty ambitious goal at Blue Lake is to change the way the early stage VC investments are done. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that right now we are at the old times uh, where the model is changing, just as whatever it is, 20 odd years back, when venture capital, at least in its um, modern form, uh, started to bloom uh, in, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere, I think we are now at the precipice when the model is ready and it's ripe for change once again. Um, there are a couple of main themes that we are basing Blue Lake's mission, you know, for, 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 for lack of a less, less pretentious uh, term. First one is great startups, great ideas, great founders. Investor has to venture outside of uh, his or her comfort zone. And first, all this means geographically. I can't say how many times we see this in London, where I am based, but in other tech hubs as well, there is almost this kind of snobbish attitude of, well, I'm a VC and it's up to a startup and me. Right, but that's not exactly how it should work. If you're looking for gold, for real gold, you shouldn't really leave it to chance and you should be ready to venture outside. It's not easy. Um, there are a lot of challenges, but we think this is the way forward. But this brings us to the next question is, when you venture outside, especially in the emerging markets where we see um, so many talented engineers are now uh, translating and transferring into amazing startups, um, 
that offer, quite frankly, a really great value for um, investors. These guys have very specific challenges. Um, and these challenges need to be addressed. And funnily enough, um, for those who monitor the early stage space, investment space, we can see there is erosion between startup accelerator and early stage investment fund. Pretty much any website or any investment, uh, uh, any uh, partner in an early stage investment fund that you talk to, they all address the issue that one way or another, they're supporting their startups. It's not just the case of here is the money and go and be great. The value of support is really often is actually more important than the funds uh, themselves. Mm-hmm. So there is this element of support that is being recognized and being incredibly important at those early stages and doubly or trebly so when it comes to, uh, to the emerging markets, when it comes to the areas where VCs don't usually venture, if I uh, forgive me for the pun. So this is the second part where we address um, in the Blue Lake Accelerator via our program. And finally, the third, you know, turtle on which our, our vision uh, is that those programs have to be tailor-made for each of the startups. Uh, when the accelerator model started, um, and uh, you know, it, it's traditional to uh, ascribe it to Y Combinator and, and shortly to Techstars, and up to this day, it tends to be pretty rigid for most part. There are loads of variations, but more or less, you have your cohort. Then it's like a mini MBA, a mini MBA for, for the founders with the fundraising element uh, quite predominantly thrown in. Um, but really, is this the right way of, of doing it? Because you have the founders, they're not children. Especially as we talked um, earlier on, uh, these guys who have their own life experiences, and some of them are probably subject matter experts, and they have to, you know, and often sit through those acceleration programs, listen to people who are quite frankly less experienced than them in that yeah. particular subject. So our approach is, we work with startups to figure out what support they need and then it was just on those aspects. Um, there are, the main challenge here is scalability, um, but without taking too much time right now, uh, we have addressed that issue via our fairly unique approach to, to that particular um, quite significant problem that, that may arise. So yes, to, to recap, is our approach is different. We go out there and we actively look for those you know, hidden gems. Yeah. Um, we support them and our support is individual. It's not a cookie cutter, large class, just you know, power way through this program. Okay. It has to be individually addressing your issues. So this is where we come in and right now, uh, we are raising funds for our new VC fund that will be supporting the, the Blue Lake Accelerator program. Uh, so hopefully uh, we are going to go live with a new fund in the coming couple of months. So we certainly want to be up by end of October, uh, mid-November. Okay. But um, 
the, the, this timeline may shift as you know the world is rather unpredictable these days. Well, exactly. I mean, every, everything's shifting nowadays, so you have to be flexible with it. I get that, and um, yes. you know, it, it, it's a very interesting take. Where basically you're saying that well, VC, venture capital you know needs to venture out of their comfort zone if they want to actually yes. make down investments. Yes. So there we go, right? So Absolutely. Like, That's yeah. like mind blown. Yeah, right? It's like yeah, you can't it's, just it's, wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's, you know, if you look, once you start digging through it, and I can talk about, you know, numbers all day long, but VC returns are too often, how can we put it politely? Fairly modest. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of challenges there. You know, I, right. I don't want to minimize the, 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 you know, the challenges that, that this model entails. Uh, but when I see capital firms, they're quite actually proud of the fact uh, you know, that they don't put much effort into scouting, uh, that they, uh, you know, they rely on the startups just to them or bumping into them in some kind of, you know, uh, fancy shindigs somewhere yeah. you know, in, in California or London or Berlin, well, you'll meet some great guys, but it's going to be the same faces, not going to be particularly cheap, yeah. and you're missing out on all those amazing opportunities out there. But it's a pain in the ass, so I get it. it it's comfy just to sit, sit, you know, sit, sit in, a, in a funky office somewhere yeah. in the middle of uh, London and, you know, just come here and I'll, I, will, I will select one of you. Yeah. Uh, our approach is a little bit different. Exactly. And, and, you know, I guess part of that, and it's, it's good that we bring that up because it adds to kind of, the, you know, when we, we started talking about innovation theater, right? So, so I guess you look at it and say a lot of VCs, well, I don't want to say a lot, but you do get a number, I suppose, that are more into the, the, the theater of it to having something to say, hey, we're see it's more marketing than actually working for the startup well it's like like so many other um institutions especially when it comes to larger vcs the model has calcified and uh, there is an internal bureaucracy and there are internal politics and 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 mind games um and uh, um, limited partners uh who uh, vcs are reporting to and it all sometimes becomes more important, uh, it, it becomes more significant about the shape of things rather than substance. Um, and it's up to uh, organizations such as ours, you know, just as VCs um, a while back, they came in and, you know, they were not happy with the way private equity guys who, uh, you know, were more traditional then and less flexible. Uh, right now, uh, it's, you know, it's up to the new guys, new funds, new fund managers to, to come in and to shake things up. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we are, that's what we are all about. Okay. And, and you know, and, and I want to, and I want to touch on one thing that uh, you have on your, on your website, actually there, and I'm going to quote you. So I'm going to look aside to quote you. Um, you wrote that now more than ever, the talent is internationally based, not restricted to one city country or culture and you know it seems as though yeah. that's something that ties directly into you know what we see say with nearshoring but i'd love for you to go just just a just a tiny bit into that because we've touched on it a bit already but you know you're thinking in regards to that that it's not restricted to one city 
one country, and most importantly, culture, because we kind of touched on that a little bit as well. But um, the cultural aspect of things, how important is that when it comes to, say, you know, tech, for example? Yes, and um, uh, we wrote that statement um, before the COVID. Yeah. And if anything, the current state of affairs has, you know, put this idea on steroids. Mm -hmm. um, if um, so, looking looking at the tech scene as a whole, um, up to fairly recently, um, there was an obsession about moving towards towards a tech center. Um, mm -hmm. Silicon Valley, or your, you know, your your Berlin's, your London's, and the usual suspects, and it's uh, always was kind of intertwined with an idea of that success to be successful, I have to be physically present, um, you know, in that, in that particular. The problem with that approach is, for financial reasons of, uh, you know, of for background, for visa issues, something as mundane as that, the flow of startups that actually can make that transition is pretty small and it has nothing to do with the talent or with the end product, with an idea, with a startup. Sometimes it comes to down to the dumb luck. You know, have I got the money to make the relocation? Um, do I have the necessary papers uh, to get to the, get the appropriate visa in EU, in the UK, in, oh. um, in the US. And we have all those guys left out in the cold, at least this uh, used to be the case. Yeah. Um, there is no logical reasons why they should be so. Um, and as we see, as the, the market itself moves towards being um, fairly agnostic, you know, it, it used to be the case of you can't go wrong, you know, you can't get yeah. fired for buying an IBM. Mm. People are now far more open towards, you know, I want an idea, I want a solution that actually solves my problem. And if you are a startup and if you're based in India, in Ukraine, in Israel, fine, power you. There is, the, there is a bit of a, you know, a meritocracy that is emerging when it comes to where you actually base, you know, your offices don't have to be squeezed in in the square mile in London. So yeah. th this used to be the case before COVID, but let's not kid ourselves. Mm. The power of interaction is still mm -hmm. a significant thing, yes. and there was still the uh, the kind of you know the handshake um, approach that you know the, a startup had to had to do with a potential client or with an investor. I think COVID has just broken that, that remaining strand and tore it to shreds. Yeah. Um, we ourselves, uh, we've done a couple of investments throughout the quarantine period and we never seen those startups. And we know many, many other investors that are doing just that. Mm -hmm. um, people are working remotely and you know, we're coming to the era where there will be people hired right now who haven't seen their colleague physically yeah. And are not likely to see them for many months, or God knows, or maybe ever. Yeah, and that's that's the new norm. So right now, the physical location is no longer uh, being restricted to you know you have to be based just across road across me. Yeah. What and just latest trends have also been 
very, very significant in, in the area of the culture, something that you touched on, and I think it's super important. Um, right now, a startup in, in, in China, uh, anyway, has access to the same resources, you know, same Howard Business Codes, mm -hmm. same, uh, same Y Combinator materials. Um, same research articles, online conferences as their peers. So if you could argue, and you could argue quite successfully that, well, if you're not based locally, you have no chance because you just don't gonna understand the culture, you're not gonna get the environment. Yeah. Still an important factor, you know, if you wanna sell in New York, it's a good idea to, to be based in New York. But right now, is it a killer? Probably no. Yeah. And the way the trajectory where this is going, I think uh, every day is going to be less and less important where you're from, what your background, and uh, more important about the result. And uh, you know, finally, we see a trend now in the US leading the way, but global about people becoming more and more aware about equality when it mm. comes to ethnicity, when it comes to gender, when it comes to other things. We are not out of the woods yet, yeah. and this is this is a real issue. But again, the trend, and you know, let let look at the trends. It seems to be, you know, long term the right one. You're not going to get involved in the politics and the right and wrongs. But it's good to see that you know, we can all agree that it's 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 about the content of the character rather than anything else. And it yeah. seems like people are um, taking you know taking it seriously. So everything, when it combines, all right, does it really matter, you know, if a startup was registered in the U.S. or their office is based whenever? Yeah. Or it matters what the guys produce. And I think, like ourselves, like many other VCs, we're becoming more and more comfortable with that idea that it matters, it matters little. And um, Many of my friends and colleagues, you know, they are, they, they, they just found out that they're going to be working remotely for at least a year to come. Yeah. So I'm talking about the guys in the UK. Um, does it now, again, you know, coming, coming to the issue which we, we, we talked uh, earlier about uh, the nearshoring and the IT development. Again, does it... In my mind, that border is becoming very, very thin. What is the difference really between nearshoring and people working with you and they happen to be registered on paper in a you know, different structure, you know, they have a different arrangement yeah. with the HR. I think it used to be important. You know, people uh, used to be quite proud of the headcount, mm -hmm. no longer. And I think these are the good trends in everything. Uh, they they continue continue to uh, to accelerate and again yeah you know something good is coming out of this you know pretty horrendous situation yeah. and and this kind of equality and you know um, being agnostic when it comes to country area region and just focusing on the results be it startups or uh, service providers you know them I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I guess now we look at it and say, hey, if it works, it works, right? And that's the, that's the important thing, right? Now I think what's going to happen is it's basically finding new ways to make connections, knowing 
that, like you said, you may not meet someone in person for quite some time. And, and when you do, I expect now to have a lot more conversations with people saying, hey, you're taller than I thought you were, or, you know, something like that, because you don't get to meet in person. So we do see, um, and I've seen some, some changes yeah. in that, you know. And it's interesting, right? I think we're in for some some interesting times, regardless. And um, it seems as though you you see it from uh, one point of view, and you get to see it from, you know, not only as an accelerator, but the the people that you mentor. I would assume they come to you with the same issues. So, so, so with that being said, um, just to, to get one more thing in, because I'm not to, to let you go soon. Um, Two things, right? So, so one would be, uh, as a question, one is we've talked about culture, right? We've talked about the, the nature of working remotely. Uh, if a startup, early stage, you know, comes to you and they want to know more about tech, what would you say is the most important step for them to ensure that they're going to be able to, to meet those tech needs or, or have consistent growth in terms of development? What can startups do to ensure their growth and, and, and development, um, if I heard you correctly? Um, yes, especially in, when it comes to technology. I think it's a, twofold, it's a twofold solution, if I can say so. There isn't a really a solution, but at least a twofold approach that can maximize their chances of success. And this addresses the very basic needs. It's the client and the product. And if you focus on those, you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. When it comes to clients, we would encourage the startups to start developing those relationships from the word go, even before your product is ready. Don't wait for the magic moment when all things are good and you are ready to go. Uh, Start early, start building those human contacts and be quite honest, you know, hey guys, we're not quite there yet, but we would like you to be aware of us. And if you don't mind, we'll keep you updated with our progress and development. Great, that, that works like a magic. About too few startups utilize that. Too many founders are waiting just for the right moment to then, you know, explode into the market and then, you know, there, there's, a, there's a cold shower waiting for them there. Well, it's something easy and something that can be done. Uh, when it comes to technology, um, this is the core. And we see a lot of startups. I don't want to you know, throw too much uh, at them. It's, it's understandable. They get fixated on one thing. You know, it can be often it's fundraising or solving a you know, particularly difficult um, issue that can be, you know, it can be a team issue or whatever. It all, it all comes down to product um, and the underpinning technology, underpinning tech. Um, in an ideal scenario, you, know, you should have your co-founders that are, you know, they have tech background, they have the relevant skills, uh, the relevant knowledge, and therefore pouring their heart and soul into your product day in, day out. And, uh, you know, this is it, there, there, is no, there is no magic. Um, you need to be ready to scale things up. Um, and this is what we see quite often where startups, they, they stumble 
is when the product finds the initial success, um, they're not ready to scale things up, they're not ready to move forward. Um, and this leads to, you know, well, we've done all the hard work, we have the clients who are interested in what we are doing, uh, but they actually require some sort of additional tech support and we don't have the right people. And then this becomes you know, the, the race to, for recruitment and we see so many uh, times, you know, there are startups feverishly advertising, you know, we need some people urgently to join our team yesterday. This is not super effective either. So they, they need to be um, a roadmap. Uh, as you know it's tricky but for your product development and uh, where you go when your product finds success and mm -hmm. if if it's the team expansion start planning it ahead it's pretty damn difficult to find the right people yeah. if you're planning to work with external partners great start building those relationships just with your customers start building them early find the guys that uh, you know aligned with you not only skills wise but you know philosophy wise that, yeah. that you know, i can't i can't it sounds a little bit esoteric but i can't put yeah. it any better than that so you know you have that support uh when the time comes um so i think if if a startup focuses on those two things um it's gonna be it's gonna be in a good place gotcha okay well you know i i started by saying we'd have two questions but i think you've answered you know, everything that I would have um, asked in the second question, you know, so, so thank you for, for that. And, um, you know, I, I think at, at, at this point, you know, um, I, I know you have to have to get going, but um, I, I do want to want to thank you for taking the time. And I know it's not easy. I know you got a lot going on. So I appreciate that. And um, before we go, I usually say, well, is there is there anything that I didn't ask um, that I should have? Right, you know, what, 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 are you, what are you up to? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I think we've, we've been pretty thorough. Um, I think we are, we're, right now we are at the times where they're challenging, but in a year or two, um, we're gonna be looking back and thinking that this was the time of opportunity. I genuinely do think so. Um, and I would encourage startups, um, corporates, um, innovation departments uh, to see these as this is the time now to take actions, to plan ahead, rather than waiting for the things to, you know, to, to, to normalize. The time is, is now. And um, this is the opportunity either to be, to be taken or to be missed. And, uh, you know, let's let's make the most of uh, what is a pretty pretty tough situation. Great, great. I I I, I completely agree, and I say, yeah, let, let's end it on that. You know, the time is now. So anyone that's that's interested yeah. in um, you know starting a company or or building or growing, anyone that's interested in you know uh, tech support or reaching out and crossing borders, you know, this is the best time to do it. So the time is now. And um, I guess now it's time for us to say goodbye. So um, I guess I, <laughs> Thanks I, so much, I, no worries. I appreciate the time and I look forward to us catching up um, in person, you know, face to face one of these days and um, continuing the conversation. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Sounds like a plan. Have a great day. Cheers. All right.
So yeah.